0: Well good morning again, great to see you all and um, as I said um, I sort of had a little bit of short notice to prepare the the message today but um, I'm really confident that this is going to be a message that will speak to a lot of people both here and listening elsewhere and the title of my message is The High Price of Deceit and I want you to turn with me please your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 and uh, we'll be reading from verses 8 to 10 and as with many warnings in the Bible this one has not gone out of date and people who ignore it ignore it at their own peril so Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10 and it says beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality power. Last week, Tom completed our evening series on the uh, the book of Jude, a very interesting book, and I'm really sorry that I missed most of it because uh, we were away on holidays. And uh, when we look at the big picture of the church age, we see the beginning of the church age described in the Acts of the Apostles which describes the work and the teaching of those men that God had appointed to start building his church and on the other end of the New Testament just prior to the last book the book of Revelation we have the book of Jude which we could term not the Acts of the Apostles but the Acts of the Apostates that would be a very appropriate title And Jude is strategically placed in a kind of hallway leading into the book of Revelation, the final book, which describes how Jesus will come again and bring all things to an end. And Jude describes how the battle for truth is going to continue and intensify right up until Jesus returns. And Jude points out that there will be real casualties some people will literally have to be snatched out of the fire as a result of being captured and damaged by worldly-minded deceivers devoid of the Holy Spirit. Jude is the only book in the New Testament that's entirely dedicated to discussing apostasy. Both at the time it was written, so it was, it was you know around 66 to 80 AD, somewhere in there, And all the way to the completion of the age because Jude says that mockers in the last time, he refers to them, would walk according to their own ungodly lusts, sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit, Jude 18 and 19. But of course, Jude is not the only New Testament writer who addresses the issue of apostates and false teachers. Paul warns his young protege, Timothy, now The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. 1 Timothy 4. Be careful, Paul says. It will not be the unbelieving outsiders who will pay attention to deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. That's totally to be expected, isn't it? But these people will come from within the professing church, pretending to be one of the flock. But in reality, they will be hypocrites with a seared conscience. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is about to depart for Jerusalem and he calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus, knowing that he will probably never, ever see their faces again. And he calls them around to himself and he says to them, but he gives them this, you know, he gives them this solemn charge and warning, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, says Paul. Please take care, heed for yourself, therefore, to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, he says, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among yourselves, men will rise up and speak perverse things to draw disciples after themselves. And then the Apostle Peter writes, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies and denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. 2 Peter 2. And the entire uh, second chapter of 2 Peter goes on to describe the, the depravity, the deception and the doom of these false apostate teachers who infiltrate the ranks of believers. And then, of course, we have the warnings of Jesus himself. Right at the beginning of the ministry, in Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus says, "Before Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. There they were in Jesus' time already, liars and frauds, pretending to be harmless little sheep, but inwardly greedy and eager to exploit for personal gain. In the 16th chapter of Matthew, Jesus warns his disciples to beware the leaven. That is the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus calls them to be very wary of these false teachers. They appear to be spokesmen for God and teachers of truth, but their influence is corrupt and they are totally self-centered. And in the 24th chapter of Matthew where Jesus looks at the future, he declares, then many false prophets will rise and deceive many. Jesus warned that in the future there will be others like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, dangerous false teachers who stand in positions that are supposed to represent God and truth but instead will spread deadly deceit and lead many people to their destruction. And he seemed to indicate that these deceivers would get worse and worse and more and more destructive and effective. Dangerous deceivers with seared consciousness who will use and abuse Aren't suspecting believers for their own perverted means of gain. So Jesus is warning us also, we must also be extremely vigilant. We must not kid ourselves that it could not happen here. We see in the book of Revelation that false doctrine literally infiltrated the church at Pergamos, the church at Thyatira, the church at Sardis and the church of Laodicea. So we'd be silly to think that Hope Church, that we're immune for this sort of corruption. And in fact, as some of you know, it already happened some time ago. We will never outlive the need to stay vigilant and fight for the truth, keeping in mind that the most formidable and dangerous war against the truth will come from the inside. So that's my introduction. And uh, what I want to do now is address a particular form of deception that has gained an enormous following and done tremendous harm in the professing church over the last 30 years that that I've been a Christian. And when I refer to the professing church, I mean every church that professes Christ. You know, we know that the reality is that in every church there are tears, there are wheat, and there are some who are not genuine believers or part of the true church. Now, I became a believer in the late 80s. As a result of going through a very difficult time in my life when my first wife left me and I decided I desperately needed to re-evaluate what life was all about. And as a result of that relationship, I became well acquainted on an ideological and practical level with what is broadly known as the New Age Movement. I was never a devotee or advocate of it. Of that belief system, but I I had ample opportunity to to witness some of its practices firsthand. And then I became a Christian, and uh, one of my early mentors was a very dear old saint by the name of Leo Hart. I just I just loved that guy. I just absolutely loved him. He was he was a he was a classic Pentecostal pastor but a true evangelist a, a, with a profound love for Jesus and the gospel. I don't think I've met anyone who loved the Lord so much. Anyway, he was also a keen student of, of Bible prophecy and often referring to it as a guiding light as per 2 Peter chapter 1, which says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And I learned from him that Bible prophecy is something that we must study if we want to successfully navigate what's happening in the world around us. Bible prophecy literally shines a light in the current darkness of this world. And without continual study and meditation on scripture, we are easily deceived and led astray. And Leo and I would often discuss current events and how they might relate to Bible prophecy. And very often we would look at predictions in the Bible and be amazed to see these very things just fulfilled before our very eyes. And one day Leo pulled me aside in a very solemn way, expressed to me his immense concern about an imminent danger that he saw that was facing the professing church. He believed the biggest challenge facing the church was how to deal with the spread and infiltration of New Age philosophies. And given my own knowledge and experience, I was, of course, very interested in what he had to say. All I can say is that developments of the last 30 years have just about totally vindicated all of Leo's concerns. While most Christians are fairly, if not totally, unaware of New Age teachings and how they have affected what they believe and practice, the influence of this sort of teaching has meant that many people who think themselves as Christians are becoming more and more deceived and may one day realise that they were tears growing among the wheat. If you're around 30 years ago and involved with a Christian church you may recall terms like engaging the culture, seeker friendly and the emerging church being used. Part of what was going on was a move towards a conversation with church participants um, seeking out the best way to live out their faith in a postmodern society and this so-called uh, conversation supported the, the deconstruction of Christian worship, evangelism and the nature of the Christian community. And one aspect of this engaging with the culture was engaging with spiritual seekers, quote unquote, and making church at- attendance attractive to people who were already seeking spiritual realities, or, albeit not necessarily in the kingdom of light. And one aspect of uh, of this was Um, also what was happening that there was, uh, uh, sorry, another aspect of what was happening was a pronounced shift towards pragmatism. So I'll talk how these things blended together. So this shift towards pragmatism started with an American pastor called Rick Warren, who had a major influence in this regard, when, quote, God gave Rick and Kay Warren a dream to plant a church for people who didn't like church. And he led them to Southern California, of all places. Um, and the Warren started Saddleback Church with a handful of people and became a megachurch within a decade. And their secret was to go and door knock the community who don't like coming to church and gather information about what they wanted to see in church, what they wanted church to look like. Always a bad idea when you ask unsafe people what church should look like. And then they would collate the information right back to their community, invite them to come to your church because that also, it has all the things that you like. Upbeat, happy music, no heavy preaching, entertainment for your kids, etc., etc. And today, when you look at Saddleback Church and you look it up on the internet, you could see that it has a five-star TripAdvisor rating. Church. The following actual review is it's fairly typical. This guy says the church is quite large. The people in this church are happy, I like that. They also there are also many palm trees. They also have saddleback student ministries. And when I walked around it seemed to be a beautiful place with trees and flowers and after church you can play volleyball, a must see. Now, you know, I don't really have a problem with any of that as such if Saddleback preached a biblical gospel, but they don't. If they did, everyone would pack up and leave. As our good friend, the well-known preacher Paul Washer maintains, uh, using carnal means to attract people to church will only attract carnal people. He adds carnal means will then have to be used continually to keep carnal people in the church. Absolutely true. And he says, you know, sometimes there may be a smaller group of true worshippers who just, you know, want to hear God's word and desire sound preaching, but pastors deny this to them, knowing that they want to keep the larger group of carnal people happy. And what these preachers have to look forward to is God's judgment. Now, this this type of church scenario has become increasingly common in in the West at least, but not only there, with mega churches like Saddleback, Hillsong, Bethel, etc., exerting a worldwide influence, keeping the carnal people happy and you will have a big church. But the real Christians will eventually leave and the words of Jesus that come to mind are, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavour... How shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. Luke 14. A widely adopted strategy of engaging postmodern culture, of being seeker friendly, uh, etc., has provided the perfect environment to attract self centered carnal people into church buildings. And to keep them there, scripture is twisted and used to support their wants and desires and to make them feel good about themselves. No preaching about sin or hell. No need for repentance. No mention that Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God to pay for your sin. Just come and enjoy. There will be nothing too heavy, we promise. And please come again next week and we will always cater for people like you. So what are some of these New Age teachings that go down so well with people who the Bible describes as lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and interestingly, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, I've included some of the most prominent and frequent errors, but there are many, many more that flow from these main errors. And the first one I want to address is the word of faith, or sometimes known as name it and claim it doctrines. In the new age, there is a concept of manifesting or the law of attraction. The law of attraction is based on the idea that like attracts like. So teachers of the law of attraction will often tell you to declare, to believe, to imagine, to visualise what you want and then God will make it come true for you. They don't call it the law of attraction necessarily. Instead, you may hear terms like naming it and claiming it, decree and declare, positive confession and sowing a seed. At the root of all this false teaching is the core New Age belief that every human is God. And they have forgotten their divine nature. People who believe this, they claim, can choose to go through a spiritual revolution, to transcend the reality that they live in and to revert to the point of consciousness where they will realise they are God. Word of faith teacher Kenneth Copeland is recorded on audio tape as saying, you don't have a God in you, you are one. Yeah. Many of you may have heard of this guy. This is the same false teacher who in April 2020 on camera blew the wind of God, quote unquote, with his own lips and declared COVID-19 to be destroyed forever. Now when you're God, you can do this. But it's now 2020 and there's an obvious problem. It's also in a somewhat comical recording, um, Gloria Copeland, his wife, told how Her little brother and she were in the back of their light plane with Kenneth as the pilot, and they saw a tornado approaching. And according to Gloria, Kenneth rebuked that tornado and commanded it to get back up where it belonged, and it did. Now, when you're God, you can do that. But there's an obvious problem here as well. When you listen to the recording before Gloria Copeland even recounted that particular incident, she told the audience, quote, we don't fly in bad weather. Kenneth Copeland also publicly declared that he believed with all his heart that Ted Cruz would become the President of the United States. Most of you probably even forgotten who he is. But Donald Trump defeated him as the Republican nominee and became President instead. And I could just go on and on and on about this man's false predictions, ridiculous pronouncements and declarations that have continually failed to materialise and yet, tragically, Millions of people still sow a seed into his ministry. And if you're not aware of what I mean by sowing a seed, it means giving money. The more, the better. You see, the more you sow, the more it will multiply, 30, 60, or 100-fold in the misinterpretation of Scripture, according to your faith. Now, you can see how this sort of teaching, uh, which implies you can have God-like control over your prosperity and your finances, can be very, very attractive. And uh, sadly, those who give are often financially naive and and desperate. And these people give what they cannot afford in the vain hope of becoming rich quick. And uh, as I said, it just keeps happening. More and more people keep getting sucked into this. But the worst thing is that when the promised return doesn't eventuate for these people, they are told that it's because they lacked faith. Rather than, you know, engaging in unbiblical promises of name and claim, we must remember that while our God is faithful and he will not withhold any good thing from us, from those who walk uprightly, that our reward is in heaven, our full reward is in heaven. When we desire anything, we ought to ask for his will to be done in our lives. We shouldn't be surrendering completely to the plan of God for us, whether it be for, for richness or poverty whether it be in sickness and in health and seek to live a life that glorifies him and not us we are called to love and trust god above all not the things of the world 1 john two fifteen says do not love the things of the world if anyone loves the things of the world the love of the father is not in him bill johnson Pastor of Bethel Church in in Redding, California, followed by millions of Christians around the world, teaches the unbiblical assertion that ordinary believers can release the power to produce miracles simply by speaking them out, simply by declaring them, It it produces the power to create the miracle. And again, this can be traced back to the core New Age belief that every human is God. And whatever God can do, you can do, especially if you're a child of God. According to Johnson, ordinary believers can heal the sick at will, just like Jesus did. Anything Jesus could do on earth, we can do, because we are just like him when we are born of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is very dangerous. This is very damaging teaching. In addition to being totally untrue, it gives cruelly gives false hope to the sick and to the vulnerable. Johnson's church holds seminars where, for a price, people can come and learn how to heal the sick. And I was quite amused when I saw a photo of a sign from Bethel Church on social media advising that their healing seminar had been cancelled because of COVID. (laughs) How ironic that a seminar on healing the sick was cancelled by sickness. Now that, that should give the game away, surely, but many, many people still don't get it. Literally, tens of millions of people listen to Beth Bethel music and subscribe to their erroneous, man-centered gospel, attributing godlike power to ordinary believers to actualize and manifest whatever they desire at will. The great appeal here is the same as the great lie of Genesis 3:5, where, where Satan deceived Adam and Eve. Telling them you will be like God, the same old lie now manifests itself in all sorts of erroneous practices and beliefs, and outrageous teachings. Like, for example, giving God permission. I don't know if you've heard of this one, but it's quite—it's out there a lot. This quote from a blog called Abundant Horizons, which recommends the resources of Joyce Meyer Ministries, who you may have heard of. Remember this writer says, God doesn't force anyone to do anything without their permission. Only when we grant God permission will he start to work changes in our lives. What we actually give permission to is to have the Holy Spirit take an active role in our souls. Now, I've never heard of this particular blog writer, but Joyce Meyer is very well known. Joyce Meyer is an extremely popular quote-unquote Bible teacher. Now, if you go to Coorong Christian Bookstore, you will see large parcels of shelf space devoted to books by Joyce Meyer in the Christian living section and even Bibles with her commentaries in it. Now, according to her own website, it says millions of people worldwide get Joyce's program, Enjoying Everyday Life through television, radio and online media outlets. Millions of uh, sorry Joyce has authored 130 books many of which have been translated into 155 languages more than 37 million of her books have been distributed free of charge around the world and each year millions of copies are sold. What a tragedy. If you do a search on giving God permission, you will see a vast array of material teaching this demonic lie that you have to give the Holy Spirit permission to work in your life before he can change you. This is, this is just so obviously ridiculous, it doesn't even deserve any commentary, so I won't comment on it. But again, this is not some obscure teaching restricted to cults and fringe groups and so on. Uh, We're talking about a false belief that has infiltrated many, many churches and the thinking of millions of Christians worldwide. And when you start to examine the New Age practices and beliefs that have infiltrated the church, there is a lot of material to cover and we simply don't have time to to look at all of it. It's a very very vast amount of material. Uh, Many practices are just extensions of that core lie that I mentioned. But in the the time we have left I want us to sort of be a little bit practical and I want us to have a condensed look at some other practices that may not be so obvious and are just as unbiblical and damaging and I'm indebted to a lady called Doreen Virtue for some of this material again do not tell Tom I drank from his bottle I don't know how he found out last time So, Doreen was raised in Christian science and then she went on into the New Age. She spent 58 years in deception, not knowing that there was anything wrong with the New Age movement. And she became the top-selling New Age author at the top-selling New Age publishing house. And I actually found one of her old books when browsing in the second-hand bookshop that confirms this. And she seemed to have everything the world desires. And she was still seeking the truth. And then she began studying the Bible. And she got to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 to 12, which says, There shall not be among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or anyone who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all these things are an abomination to the Lord." And because of these things, the the, because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. So she realized she was a sinner in the need of a savior, and she surrendered her life to Christ and left the New Age. So I'm going to use some of her unique insights and practical advice, which I think are very, very uh, insightful, very useful, very practical. Here's a list of, some of the, just, just some of the New Age practices that all Christians should avoid and rebuke. What I think you'll find interesting is that not many people would connect some of these practices with New Age teaching. And, of course, this is just part of the deception. Not preaching the gospel. It should be obvious. Stay away from churches that avoid teaching the gospel that Jesus died to save them from the penalty of their own sin and corruption. In the New Age, there is no discussion of anything that could offend anyone. So no one learns about sin, hell, repentance, Jesus' work on the cross, or salvation. In the New Age, the belief is that everyone is going to heaven. They believe also that you go to heaven by being a good person. So this is obviously salvation by works, which is unbiblical. Tragically, the lack of gospel teaching sends unsaved New Ages straight to hell. People need to realise that we are all sinners and we need Christ as our Saviour. Downplaying or doubting the Bible. Adding to the Bible with special revelation which contradicts Scripture. Now this this is very common. The New Age says that the Bible is tampered with incomplete and missing books. So special revelation messages that contradict what the Bible says are of course false everything must be compared to the bible and and, and i would add please challenge people when they when they start telling you this stuff that they had this special message from god Um, simply ask them how do they know that the message is actually from god and not from some other source it's a simple question music with unbiblical lyrics We must compare worship music lyrics against scripture. We also need to avoid listening to or singing music from New Age infiltrated churches like Bethel, Hillsong and Elevation. You know, sometimes back as an eldership, we decided not to sing any Bethel songs anymore. Some were actually fairly theologically sound, but because music is a primary way, they draw people into their false beliefs. We occasionally still sing some older Hillsong songs, you may have noticed that, that we believe are Christ-centered and theologically uh, sound. Giving glory to yourself instead of God. In the New Age, positive affirmation is used to boost confidence. So these affirmations do not work, which is proven by the fact that they have to keep keep, uh, being given and said all over again and repeated. The Bible teaches us that our purpose is to glorify God and not to glorify ourselves. Believe in yourself. This New Age slogan glorifies the self and says that you need to follow your own heart. But the Bible says that the heart is deceitful and anyone who takes an honest inventory of their life can see that the heart misleads us. Proverbs 3, 5-6 says that we must trust God and not lean on our own understanding. And now, an interesting one Jesus calling books. Now again, if you go to K- Kurong, you, you'll see these all over the place. These channeled books appeared Christian, but they use, because they use Christian terminology and have Bible verses. However, they contain messages, supposedly from Jesus, which contradict and twist what Jesus said in the Bible. Since the Bible tells us that that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and, and forever, it is impossible for him to contradict himself. New Age channeled books also use Christian terminology and Bible verses. There's no difference between New Age channeled books and Jesus calling channeled books. Now, channeling, in case you don't know, is seen as one of the most important and definitive aspects of the New Age movement. The majority of those who channel profess to be the vocal conduit of a spiritual entity to which they have access. The channeler is temporarily inhabited uh, by an entity, such as a spirit guide, commonly, and functions as the entity's mouthpiece. Now, before I was a Christian, I actually had an experience where I was given a very accurate message about my life and about where it was going by a woman speaking in a male voice. She said she was channeling her spirit guide and even gave me his name. And the message was accurate, but I now know the source was demonic. So the takeaway here is just because the message is true, it doesn't mean it's from God. Next, kenosis and Arianism heresies. Now, Arianism, the teaching that Jesus was just a human and not God, and kenosis, the teaching that Jesus emptied his divinity during his earthly ministry. This is all pure blasphemy with New Age and occult roots. So this is one of the reasons why we we, regularly go over the historic Christian creeds, because they often address these sort of heresies. Astrology and horoscopes. You know, as the church adopts, worldly behaviours, the tolerance of these dangerous practices is increasing. Every time astrology is mentioned in the Bible, it is associated with pagan idolatry. The three magi, the wise men, were not called astrologers. They were following the messianic prophecies in the Bible which led them to Jesus. And the last one I'll mention is the Enneagram. I always think of Enneagram. Enneagram? No, it's not. It's the Enneagram. Ennea didn't write it. He wouldn't write things like this. This personality test is neither from a psychologist nor a Christian. It was created by a man called Claudio Naranjo, who said that he created the Enneagram from automatic writing, a dangerous occult practice of getting messages from unfamiliar spirits. So even though you know the enneagram is being touted as Christians it has Christian it has no biblical basis whatsoever. Doreen Virtue remarks new age practices are similar to alcoholism. They are progressive and people crave more and more intensity. They may start out with something innocent, innocent but it always leads to darker experiences. New age is the devil's tool to infiltrate the church. And we must become with wisdom, become equipped with wisdom and discernment so that we we can identify and avoid these practices. Now, you might be thinking as I'm saying all of this, look, I trust in the living God to protect me from deception and keep me until the end. I don't believe God will allow me to be finally lost. That's true. But it doesn't mean that God may not allow you to experience deception for a time. And that you may not pay a very high price until he delivers you out of it you know as I was preparing this sermon funnily enough a post came up on my Facebook feed from a very dear friend of mine and and I have permission from him to share this with you and he says some years ago many after many years as a Christian And many years as a Christian leader, pastor and church planter, the living God in his grace and wisdom allowed me to go through a series of personal crises. The result, a period of deep depression. In my state, my nights consisted of sleepless despair and my days were filled with exhaustion. I would go bushwalking at times in an attempt to clear my mind. One time I found a Hang rope suspended from a beam in an abandoned building and a great demonic temptation to make the uh, use of the rope assailed me. God gave me the strength to resist. Because my thinking was so scattered, I said to the Lord, I need to get into the word but I can't concentrate. So please, Lord, give me passages to read at this time. And for a period of weeks, every time I opened the book, I would come across this verse or variations of it in different places all through my Bible. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will hear and answer and you will glorify me. So I called on him and he answered faithfully every time. I prayed, Lord, I need to get into worship. Please give me a song. And every morning, every morning I would wake if and when I would finally fall asleep. And I would have a worship song going on in my mind, sometimes hymns that I couldn't even remember learning. The churches I'd been involved with for years did not sing hymns very often. And then the Spirit of God led me to re-examine my faith. Inadvertently, I had embraced attitudes and teachings more reflective of prosperity, word of faith and ecumenism than the biblical truth. I renounced these things as the Lord guided me through his infallible word and bit by bit. My sanity returned. I was shocked to learn that many I had looked up to in the church were way off track biblically. I was, it was so clear to me. I wondered how i had ever been so deceived by this mega churchian, seeker-friendly, ecumenical, compromised theology. Anyway, the Lord delivered me from depression and despair. He sent me free from serious doctrinal errors. He broke off the fear of man which I had so hobbled my walk. He set me on a rock. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. He opened up the scriptures and shone a light on his truth and exposed the epidemic of errors being promoted in his name. He had mercy on me. He forgave me my many, many failings and returned me to peace, joy, and comfort, the graced possession of those who are redeemed by him. Thank God for his loving kindness and mercy and patience on such as I. And of course, if he did it for me, he can do this for others going through similar trials. You know, I know my friend paid a very high price during his foray into the spiritual wilderness. Yes, the Lord did this restore him, but it was so painful that I'm sure he would never want to go through it again. Now, some of us have friends and acquaintances who attend churches that focus on all sorts of man-centered teachings rather than the true gospel of Christ. Many of these teachings are rooted in the new age or the occult. And I believe that God can use every single one of us, every single one of us, to gently but firmly warn our friends and acquaintances that they are in great danger. The danger is that one day these terrifying words of Jesus may become true of them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, note that, will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew 7. So these people went to church, they had their ears tickled, they did all the man-centred church stuff, they even participated in some supernatural activities, but they did not hear the true gospel, nor were they called to repent for their sins. Let's pray that God will equip us to snatch people like this out of the fire. Let's pray that God will grant us opportunities to, to sit down and warn these people of the great peril that they are in. Sadly, you know, many will spend years in biblically compromised churches, just going around in circles and then walk away having experienced only a form of godliness but not the true power of God. The power of God to save, which can only be found in the gospel of Christ. Romans 1:16 says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes." for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And acts 4:11 nor is there salvation in any other name but Jesus for there is no other name given under heaven under which we must be saved. Salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. No other way, no slick programs, no fancy gimmicks, just the pure unadulterated gospel. Jesus Christ, the son of God, left heaven, came to earth became the God man he lived a sinless life to fulfill God's requirement that a perfect sacrifice be provided for his people he was nailed to a cross and he took upon himself the righteous anger of God on behalf of sinners through his death and resurrection he provided the only way by which hopeless helpless sinners can come to a holy and righteous God the Bible promises that because of what Jesus did, all who repent of their sins and trust in him will be saved. This is the one and only way of salvation. And the Bible promises that whoever comes to Christ will drink freely of the water of life when he makes things, all things new. Revelations 2, 1-4 says, 21-4 says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. So the invitation goes out as we wind up. Goes out to all to believe in Christ and be saved from the wrath to come. Bring nothing in your hands. God does not require it. Jesus has provided on your behalf everything God needs to forgive you fully and freely. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for the guiding light in the darkness. And Lord, we know that we live at a time where deception is so rife, even within the professing church. And Lord, there are people we know, people we love, people we've been friends with, Probably still are friends with some of them, Lord, who are just totally deceived. It's so hard to see it when you're in the midst of it. Father, would you would you equip us, Lord, to share truth with these people? Lord, would you create opportunities for us to share our concerns for them, Lord, in a way that they will accept? Father, we commit this to you, Lord. We We know that, Lord, those who you are calling out of the world and those who you have called and will call, Lord, that none of them will be lost. But, Lord, our job is to go and to preach the gospel. Please help us, Lord, to to do that faithfully. Lord, please help us to warn those who need warning and, Lord, to encourage those who need encouragement. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.